Hi and welcome to Boom It's on the Blockchain. My name is Alistair Caithness and today we're joined by the Shep. Hey Shep, how's it going? Going well, Al. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. So we've got an action-packed show today. It is 12.32 in California right now. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're having a good day. So first thing we want to speak about is Bitcoin. Obviously, we're speaking about what's happening in the market space right now. So I'm going to basically put up this screen from Bitcoin.com. Let's see if we can get it in there, shape. And let's have a look what's happened essentially just the last couple of days. So this is Bitcoin.com, Roger Ver's website and the, the guys involved in that. If you'll actually look at Bitcoin itself right now, you'll see it's actually trading at just over 42,000. So everyone in the crypto space has been looking at the sort of drop in Bitcoin over the last uh, essentially few days. But what you're actually finding is that Bitcoin is actually following the markets. So, if, you know, if you think of Bitcoin as an asset class now, now people used to think of this asset class, it was out there, it was something, it wasn't connected to the markets, it was something completely different. But now you've got companies like Coinbase on the uh, New York, I mean, the uh, NASDAQ Stock Exchange. You've got other big Bitcoin, uh, bit mining companies now there, Bitcoin mining companies now trading there as well. And then you've got all these hedge funds and investment groups all investing into Bitcoin. So if there's a basically an upset to the market space, and we'll uh, go on to CNBC yesterday, so the S&P falls nearly 2%, which is its worst day, and the Dow sheds 600 points. So this is the worst daily performance in the market space, essentially, in the last few months. And what's interesting now is when the markets drop, also, Bitcoin drops as well because Bitcoin drops. It also affects the, the other cryptocurrencies out there. So, you know, this is what's happening. So for a lot of people out there, they're worried that their Bitcoin has gone down or the other cryptos have gone down. But overall, all the markets have gone down as well at the same time. So this is showing you how connected everything is out there. And in a lot of ways, it's starting to show people out there that, you know, Bitcoin's an asset class like anything else. And whatever happens out there in the world can have an effect on Bitcoin itself. But an article we were going to speak about today, Shep, is out in El Salvador. So let me bring this one up just now. So this is in Market Watch. So El Salvador is the first country in the world to make Bitcoin a legal currency or legal tender. Um, do you want to give us a bit of background of what's actually happened in terms of El Salvador right now, Shep? Uh, yes, El Salvador has basically adopted Bitcoin as their primary currency. And due to the small dip uh, in Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin is um, the government of El Salvador uh, basically took advantage of the recent Bitcoin drop uh, with the president uh, Buchel announcing the purchase of another 150 Bitcoins that are worth roughly 6.8 million at the press time. Earlier today, the flagship cryptocurrency slipped to uh, $45,135 at the time this was written. 
And on the Bitstamp exchange, El Salvador now holds 700 Bitcoins. After the most recent buy, the Central American nation initially purchased 400 Bitcoins on September 7th, the day it adopted Bitcoin as its legal tender. So, you know, so that's interesting. So the people out there to understand that now in El Salvador, they're essentially the US dollar is still the number one currency in the country that they use. But the number two that they've come into is Bitcoin uh, over their own currency. And now you've got places like Paraguay looking at it and other places across Central and South America. But what's interesting about it is that this is the first country that's actually gone and made it legal tender. You, you might even have a place like, you know, Portugal or Canada, one of these places that actually make it more in terms of a legal tender earlier in terms of Western countries getting involved in this. But really, if you start going to developing nations whereby their own currency fluctuates so heavy, um, Therefore, if they're actually having to hold Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin is actually seen to them as a safer bet than their own currency. Essentially, that's why they've been using U.S. dollars in so many other countries in the world. You know, I went over to Asia before and essentially any place you walk into, they will accept the U.S. dollar. In some places, they'll actually give you a better exchange rate for you US dollar than actually what you would get a bank, etc. You know, this is then this happens all over the world. Now, if you think about what's happening in China, now China was basically growing to become essentially, well, right now the yen's the number two currency in the world beside the dollar. And, you know, that's how this was growing. And then there's going to come a tipping point. You know, if we suddenly started getting all the oil industry in yen rather than dollars, then everything would flip over and the yen would become the number one currency in the world and the US dollar number two. And then basically out of nowhere, the sort of Cinderella story is this Bitcoin's come along, this new technology, and now other countries are wanting to adopt it. So this is part of the reason why China is now pushing, you know, getting rid of Bitcoin mining. They don't want to accept it in their own country. You know, what does that mean going forward? Are they about to do their own version of a digital yen and try and take the market space early? You know, digital currency is here to stay. It's nearly digital anyway. It's just that the, the US dollar has basically dominated the market for the last number of years. The yen was increasing the euro and suddenly Bitcoin's there as well. So it's going to be interested in going forward. And then, you know, there's been news articles all week that people can now go into McDonald's in El Salvador and actually buy Bitcoin. I mean, buy a Big Mac with Bitcoin. Obviously not too much of a Bitcoin to buy it, but essentially that's available. But up there in Wyoming, though, Shep, in America, you know, you tell the viewers uh, what you can use Bitcoin for in Wyoming right now. Um, you can buy your groceries, gasoline, or just about anything with Bitcoin. I mean, they've got the Bitcoin ATMs and everything in place. So virtually it's just basically the same commodity as fiat US, US stablecoin currency. You can use it to buy just about any of your day-to-day -day goods that you need. Yeah, that, that is pretty amazing there, Shep, you know. So let me just bring that back up there as well. So for the people out there to understand that, you know, we talk about Bitcoin, we talk about what we're doing with energy tokens. Let's bring up our platform right now, just now as well, Shep, in terms of trying to let people understand this technology that's coming in. Oh, sorry, Shep, I've just deleted you there. Let, let's bring this down just now. So, you know, if you're thinking, right, so what are we doing that's different from Bitcoin? 
So essentially, if you think Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, what we're working on is security tokens. Now, what's the difference? Well, essentially, a security token or an asset-backed token, rather than being backed against you know, essentially nothing with all these cryptocurrencies. What this is doing is backing against the assets of the oil wells, the oil production, the wind farm, the solar farm. So as we um, develop the platform, now the very first token on the platform is going to be the Zion Energy token. And, you know, that's going to be a tokenized fund. And so what's going to be backing our tokenized fund is essentially all the interest in the project we've, we've got so far. So we've got interest in about 60 wells in Texas. We've got interest into mineral rights multiple places. We've got the, the coal that we own out in Pike County. We've got the wind farm lease. We've got the solar farm lease. So as we're building up this tokenized fund, then anybody who owns any Zion Energy tokens will own a small fractional interest of the fund. And the way we're going to grow it is we'll just keep acquiring more and more interest in projects going forward put that into the fund and any owner that actually has an interest in the fund. Now, as we as different projects come on board, how does this differ? So if you're an oil operator or an energy operator right now and you're looking at our platform and what we're actually up to. So let's just bring this up in terms of our mission. You know, so what we're doing is we're tokenizing the entire energy project and allowing people to have fractional interests in the project themselves. So really what it does is it allows the, the transfer and interest in project. So up until now, you know, it's not like we're developing the market space. The market space already exists. So if we look at an oil asset right now, if people are investing into this oil asset, so you're going to have the, the landowner, quite often the farmer, say he owns 20% of the project or 12% or 15%, depending on where he's based. Then you've got the operator. So the operator is the one who's operating the entire project and they might own, say, 40% of the project. So that's 60% of the project, one to the landowner, 40% to the operator. Now, the operator is going out there to finance the project. So the other 40% is made up of non-op interest holders. So these are people of interest in the project, but they don't have any sort of control that's going on. And then mostly this will be in the form of a working interest. So as it produces oil, so we'll talk about sort of, you know, onshore drilling in America. So if the oil price is at $70 a barrel and say the midstream part of the picking up and refining the oil, the refinery company charges, say, $12 to $15. So we'll just say $15 uh, just to keep math simple. So that's $65 that has actually been made by the oil company on this. Now, the cost of operations might cost $30 a barrel, $35 a barrel to produce this oil. So then we've got a profit margin of $20. Um, a barrel of oil, depending on how many barrels they do a day. So say they did 100 barrels a day. So this well is essentially making 20 times 100, which is $2,000 a day profit. Now, you know, that's what it's making. And that could be making that $2,000 for, say, a 20-year period. Now, the way it normally works is it starts up, you know, you, you hit a sort of gusher, as they say. So it's peak production, and then it goes down in a gradual curve from there as well. So this is how they're actually operating. So what happens is the interest holder owns an interest in the project. But the problem is that if you ever want to sell this interest, it's actually quite difficult for you to do this because you own a percentage of the project. It's a minority holding, as we say there as well, the non-op interest holding in the project. 
And then really what you're looking at is this ability to actually sell these interests. So what we're doing is we're changing the capital structure whereby no longer is it in percentage interest, it's converted into tokens. So we're using the technology of the blockchain as a security token, an asset-backed token, different from a cryptocurrency, but for people thinking about it, the technology has come from Bitcoin and from the blockchain to develop this. So if that started back in 2012, and now we're 2021, nine years later, we've got this technology to provide fractionalized ownership of this. And then what we'll have is an ATS allowing people to actually sell these interests under token form. So rather than having 2% of the project, now you own 20,000 tokens. Now here's where the differences start to become even more sort of uh, apparent is, you know, we're looking at Bitcoin. So, you know, you're going to profit from Bitcoin is by investing into Bitcoin now, HODL, you know, hold on to your Bitcoin. Hopefully the price goes up over time. And then what will happen is your investment increases. But as these producing security tokens or asset-backed tokens are producing energy, because you've got a certain percentage of the project, as it produces oil, just the way I spoke about there, that doesn't change. When it comes to getting your interests, which are quarterly checks, now you're going to be getting your distributions through the digital market space. So our distributions will be paid out in Bitcoin, will be paid out in Ethereum, they'll be paid out in US dollars or they'll be paid out in euros. It'll be entirely up to the interest holder for this. So now you're getting your distributions potentially in Bitcoin, and then you can go on and you can look to sell your interest in Bitcoin, and you'll also be able to invest into these projects in Bitcoin as well. So what you might find is if you look at this as an asset class and Bitcoin's going up and down as we saw the price go down, you know, if people are sitting on a lot of Bitcoin and the oil price is maintaining high and the project comes in here that's about to produce a lot of oil or there's a new wind farm that's about to produce a lot of electricity and you know it's going to hold its value, what you could do is you could take some of that Bitcoin, invest it into the wind token and then suddenly you've got this token which will provide you distributions as it produces electricity. So you'll have a renewable energy asset-backed token producing electricity. And as it produces electricity, whatever your percentage is in token format, you will be getting distributions similar to the way dividends work as well. So that in itself is a huge step forward for the energy industry. And it, this is why what we're talking about with Bitcoin and blockchain is so relevant to what's going on in terms of our project. And as it's coming to fruition, we've got this ability to make tokens on behalf of other energy operators. And that's where I see the major growth in what we're doing in terms of energy tokens. Yes, Zion Energy is where we've come from. Zion Energy is going to be on the platform. Yes, we're growing Zion Energy as a tokenized energy fund. And within that fund, we have got multiple interests. Yes, we've got fractional interest in 60 wells that are producing oil in Texas right now. We're looking at other projects out there. We're looking at a project coming up in Ohio that has a potential for gas projects, but also renewable energy as well. If we can acquire long-term leases for the company, if we can acquire you know, interest with that. And then again, this opens up to what we're doing with Bitcoin mining and green Bitcoin mining. See, everything is interconnected. You know, we're talking about El Salvador making their currency 
essentially Bitcoin, or that's their number two currency beside the US dollar right now. And if you think about China, and we spoke about them, they want to be the number one currency in the world. They do not like Bitcoin because suddenly El Salvador is not going, yes, we want the yen to be our number two currency. No, they're saying Bitcoin. Now, even though Bitcoin's a lot smaller than the yen and a lot smaller than all these other currencies, it's the one that's taking the most traction as quick as possible. And the adoption with other uh, cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, and it's Ethereum this is run on, and it's the blockchain itself. See, what people need to realize is this technology is here now. It's absolute infancy. But over the next 20 years, it's, it's going to change the world in ways we can't even fathom right now. It's a bit like my little son, who's six years old at school. I was, I was reading an article saying that over 90% of your jobs that your six-year-old child will do when they're 18 don't even exist yet, Shep. You know, that in itself, mind-blowing. People are like, well, how does that work? Yes. You know, well, 30 years ago, we're all working on the internet. If we said 30 years ago, yeah, we're running podcasts, or, you know, live stream, talking about blockchain, using this StreamYard technology, live streaming there as well, you know, they'll be thinking, well, you know, how does that work? How does television not involved? You know, how does it work with the telephone? You know, back in the old days, you'd be holding a phone and you'd have someone getting interviewed and you'd picture of them on the phone and they'd be speaking in to broadcast. And then suddenly that was very difficult to do. And what you're seeing now is just this tech technology evolution of what's actually going on. A couple of things I want to finish off with today as well, Shep, because I want to keep this one a bit brief, is right now, if I have a look, so Dave Rogers was on the other day. Let's have a look. Let's bring this up right now. Let's bring it there as well. Bitcoin Libertarian. You know, I love the sound of this. So if anyone out there isn't aware, you know, I'm part of the Libertarian Party, was involved in the 2020 election with the, the party itself, uh, was on the team of Kokesh and McAfee. I was the blockchain policy advisor for the AmeriCoin project. What the AmeriCoin project was actually designed to do was tokenize the federal assets of the government, which is essentially 54% of the assets in America. And you're talking all the land, all the timber, all the oil reserves, all the access to energy that can be created on that land. You know, right now, according to Wikipedia, the net worth of that is somewhere in the region of $271 trillion. So if you think of the debt of this country as going up and up and up, but if you go back to simplistic balance sheets, assets and liabilities, I guarantee the liabilities of America aren't above 270 trillion. So what was the policy trying to do? So what we were looking to do was to tokenize the federal assets in the same way I'm talking about tokenizing energy assets, but rather than the government get the benefits. See, there's no reason for the government to own the assets. You know, essentially the original constitution when America got set up was the land belongs to the people, not the government, or the king, and king, they were talking about King George of England at the time, because they were sort of, you know, we talk about American history anyway, but talking about that hacked off sending all the money back to the King George back in Buckingham Palace. You know, Prince Harry up in LA's uh, great, 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 great grandfather, you know what I mean? At that point in time, he was taking all the wealth and we're sending it all back. So, you know, America gets formed, they put this into the constitution. But you know, the land belongs to the people, but really does it belong to the people? It doesn't. It belongs to the government because there's never been a technology 
to allow fractional ownership of the land. So what we would want to do is we would tokenize the federal assets, and this would be valued, and the, essentially you're creating, you know, ultimately the biggest asset in the world. Now, this big asset creates profitability in the same way that oil wells create profitability. And then everyone who out there who had a social security, they would have a social security wallet and they would get distributions based on what this asset starts to create. And that's how AmeriCoin would work. I spoke to a number of companies there. The technology is in place for us to do this. So essentially, if you think about what I'm actually been working on, and I've been working on for a number of years with AmeriCoin uh, being part libertarian and Bitcoin libertarian, is really to basically develop this. And this is a monetary policy. Because off the back of COVID, you know, the world's going like this. You know, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. That's the way it's sort of going. You know, there's an increase in homelessness in all over the world. But in a place like California, you know, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Now, what's the, what's the worst thing about it is, you know, these people are now seen as worthless. There's no value or worth to them. They don't have an asset. They don't have a home. You know, they've maybe got a tent if they're lucky. They're getting moved there. They live out of bags. They've got no access. They're not getting any sort of subsidies from the government, any securities. They've got no health care. You know, these people are now at the bottom of society and the cracks are letting them slip by. You know, what the AmeriCoin policy does is it no longer makes these people worthless. And if you make someone who's not worthless, no matter how small this fractional interest is, suddenly that creates opportunity. And then what you're also doing is you're giving people an opportunity to own an asset for the first time ever. And for a lot of people out there, and they've come up in you know difficult um, communities whereby there's not many much opportunities, you know they'll never own an asset share. You know the majority of wealth, the 90% of rich people are rich because their parents are rich. That's how it works. And asset goes down and down and down and down. So most people inherit assets themselves or their parents provided cash for them to invest and put down deposits for houses. And that's really how it really works with the majority of people. Yes, you get some self-made people, but the majority of people out there are, aren't able to do it. So what does Bitcoin do? So see, Bitcoin is this technology that essentially can be applied so if you think of someone like John McAfee, you know, the software genius that's come along there, you know, ultimately he was the first Bitcoin libertarian, you know, he was the first guy. And to me, you know, when we got set up and Kokesh put the team together, so the original team to come in to develop AmeriCoin, Kokesh put the team together and there was guys from Bitcoin.com, Roger Ver, these guys, there was... Um, uh, McAfee is an advisor to the project, and I was to lead the project itself, and there was a number of other blockchain guys involved in doing this. Now, when I originally spoke to Kokesh, he wants to replace the federal government. You know, I understand it's a libertarian viewpoint. We think we can actually, you know, the world will work better without government overreach and too much government control. But people can't really buy into that, and we like how sanitation works. We like how a lot, you know, so much stuff the government does that we like. We just don't want to focus on that because then we wouldn't want to do this. So I'm not saying replace the federal government. What I'm saying is under AmeriCoin, we're going to tokenize the federal government. And by tokenizing the federal government and allowing fractional ownership to the people, we'll all get distributions. Now, because it's an asset... I couldn't hear what you said. Oh, it's... Uh, because it's an asset, 
it's going to increase in value over time. The same way your house increases in value over time because it's an asset like land, you know? We're talking about it. We're not talking a depletion curve going this way. We're talking a depletion curve going this way. And that's really the policy with AmeriCoin that we're looking to do. So, and going forward, I want to develop my, uh, you know, political viewpoints and what I think. And I'll talk about why I want to join the Libertarian Party. But what drew me to the Libertarian Party, first of all, was because of Bitcoin and because of the blockchain. And essentially, they were the first adopters of this, of any political party across the world. And now it's starting to get mainstream. So Bitcoin does not belong to the Libertarian Party, people. Bitcoin is an entity in itself. And what we're seeing with the likes of El Salvador and Paraguay and other countries across the world, and now major hedge funds and now private equity groups and now banks, we're all buying in not only to Bitcoin, but the blockchain technology and what I believe what I'm trying to do with AmeriCoin is to develop a monetary policy that can essentially, I'm not going to say save the world, I'm going to say allow people an opportunity for asset ownership. And the first place they should look to implement a place like this is a place like America. And if it works here, what you would find is a domino effect across the world. And then rather than replacing the federal government, we would tokenize the federal government, we would create transparency with the federal government, and we were happy for the federal government to be successful in what you're doing, because we all own a little piece of the pie. Now that technology exists, we're developing the policy. As we go each week, I'll speak about what we're doing as well. But anyway, in order to launch my new Bitcoin libertarian political stance here, Shep, let's like put this on there. I have launched my first, oh, sorry, Shep, we'll get you big here. Here we go. This is my first NFT. It's out in OpenSea right now. You know, was a bit of a conceptual artist back in the day when I'm in the younger days, Shep. So want to get back into it. So I'm going to do a series of NFTs under the name Bitcoin Libertarian. And then basically, let's put it right up there as well. And we'll just take it from the quote from Satoshi Nakamoto, where it all began back in 2008. Bitcoin is very attractive to the libertarian viewpoint. Hashtag Bitcoin libertarian, NFT, BL001. Anyone out there will be able to buy it. It's going to be on sale in Ethereum. And this will be hashed on the blockchain already, Shep. It's already there. I don't know if you can see the top part of the thing. I wonder if I can if I can just break bring that down. We can just like, we'll look. Oh, wait, we can't see it. Anyway, it's hashed on the blockchain at the top anyway, Shep. So that's, oh, wait a minute, let's go down. There we go. Look, you can see it's been hashed on the blockchain 14 hours ago, Shep. We're in business. The consent cool. artist, uh, Bitcoin Libertarian, is now on OpenSea. Please check it out. We're going to have other uh, pieces of art going out there. I hope people like it. Obviously, big Andy Warhol fan myself was involved in doing a couple of little pop art projects back, you know, 25 years ago, Shep. That's how old I am now as well. And then basically I'll be recreating some of these going forward, some with a bit of humor, some for people to enjoy, and most of all for people to own. And this will pass on there and we can teach people about NFTs and what's happening with that market space as well. So Bitcoin libertarian people, you know, and if, if you're stuck for political uh, viewpoints and you're sort of sick of the left, and sick of the right, and you're looking for something new, look no further, Shep, put orange tie on, especially for the occasion, Bitcoin Libertarian, 
You've got to have an open mind. You've got to be accepting. And I'm telling you what, that marginalized people, we will accept you. We will defend you. That's what the Bitcoin libertarian policy is all about. Right. So that's my political bit over there, Shep. Just wanted to put that in there. Always do that when uh, Dave Rogers isn't around. Any viewpoints on it, Shep? Uh, it's just basically meeting in the middle to agree to disagree and going away agreeing in a, in a modular, modularity commodity type area. Perfect. That's a great way to actually put it. Right. So let's just finish off today because one o'clock and I know I'm, we're running out of time. We're late starting. My fault, Shep. Right. Like, so let's pop on chewing the cud. Right. Let's like bring this up today. So Boris Johnson. For all the people out there who are not aware of Boris Johnson, most people know who he is, Prime Minister of Britain, right? Believe it or not, everybody, he is. He confirms he's going to be a father again, and this will be six children. And Whoa. if you look at the son back in the... If you're oh, a California homeowner... Can you hear that shit? No? Yes, can. All oh, right, so it's like... Qualified to go let's solar. skip and let's here we go. Let's go. Oh, here he is. Here he is, like, going out there just now. So Boris hit for six. You have six kids. What's it like to have little babies in, in it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's, you know, well, you know, do you hear him talking about how many babies he's got there, Shane? Yes, I do. Six kids. That's actually very, very impressive himself. Oh, yeah. So people out there have got to realize is that, you know, Boris Johnson, though, let's just like close that one down. Let's bring up some of his more recent news that might not be just as good as having six children. So Boris Johnson actually contracted uh, COVID. He looked really ill, actually, when he went on TV and stuff like that as well. But part of the problem was the reason he got COVID was he went into the COVID wards. Let's see. Hopefully this video is a good one. Oh, it's playing after an ad. We're, we're stuck with ads, people. Let's see what the ad's right? coming in. We've got seven seconds. Anyway, it's so good. We've got to show this anyway, Shep. Right, let's have a look. Here we go. One second. That I, 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 I'm shaking hands because I was at a, I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were a few, there were actually a few coronavirus patients, and I shook hands with everybody. Uh, you'll be pleased to know, and I continue to shake hands. And uh, I think it's very important that we, you know, people obviously can make up their own minds. I think that. Matt has said that people must make up their own minds, but I think the scientific evidence is, well, I'll hand over to the, to, to the experts, but, but our judgments. Our judgments. Don't shake hands if people got coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. You know, absolutely brilliant there as well. So you can understand why people in Scotland no wonder want him to be the Prime Minister of Scotland, you know. But, you know, he, he does do some other things. But, you know, you've got to hand it to him. You know, he keeps going. He's sort of pig-headed with it as well. But this was this is one of my favorite thing with Boris Johnson. And this was back when he was sort of London mayor, right? So we watched this one here as well. So just to give a bit of background, he's on tour. I can't remember. I think he was over in Tokyo trying to promote London uh, before the Olympics. Um, in order to, they obviously knew he was a bit of rugby. The Japanese love rugby, a bit of rugby sevens. It was, I think, nine-year-old children, but he decided he wanted a game. So took the suit jacket off, Shep, and let's watch him in action, you know? <laughs> uh, it's Google. Can't get rid of it, you know? <laughs> ten seconds. So it's like, well, wait 10 seconds to do that as well. I've already watched that advert to do that as well. <laughs> so it's like Google Chrome, they control you. Here we go, here we go. 
Right, here he is. He's moving out to the wing, shape. He's out to the wing. Right, here we go. Right. Past him. Watch him. Dummy. Oh, absolutely nails the little kid. <laughs> Fair play to the wee kid. He stopped him. Watch him. It's a good tackle. It's a good, but look at him. Oh, look at him. He absolutely powered him. The guy's probably 300 pounds. <laughs> he shakes his hand, little guy. Fair play to you, mate. Fair play to you, mate. So, ah, well. Good on you, Boris. You know, I mean, let's just put that back just now as well there, Shep. So that's Boris Johnson, you know. He's coming up. We'll have another election soon. He won by a landslide as well. Even these three bits of video evidence that I've shown, shaking hands with people with coronavirus and saying, oh, well, you should shake hands. <laughs> the British way, better shake hands, even though the doc they should have shown the video. Like, all the doctors are in the masks yeah. here, like that. And then Boris Johnson shake hands with them. They're supposed to shake hands with them. And they're like, no. <laughs> he's in the ward himself <laughs> who's this guy oh, he's prime minister of britain you know how oh, brilliant it just shows you you don't have to be that smart to be the prime minister it's more who you know not he's a you. hoot that's for sure ah, yeah, yeah you look at that and then look at the rugby there ship you know poor little fair play to the little kid you know he, did, he stood his ground probably wasn't expecting in a game of touch rugby you know and that's what touch rugby is like you know that tackle football with the flags here it's you like know. that's what they were playing you know it's not full contact obviously Boris just decides he's playing full contact absolutely plows into the little kid it looked like an American <laughs> football game it, it, it is it's like rugby is like an American football game there shit but just no helmets and that you know Boris obviously played but like a lot of posh people are you know don't play posh people in England at rugby you know what I mean they're good at that they train it all the time you know you just yep. think because they're posh so we were doing that we used to play Gordonston so Inverness would play uh, Melbourne Academy where I went to we would play Gordonston which was the posh school where like Prince Charles and yep. you know you know I think Prince Philip and stuff like that they all went to that school but we were the sort of like they were the toffs and we were the sort of you know Poppers, is it? And then it would be more of a like a cannon fodder game where we would play them, you know, as a sort of confidence booster before they play the other private schools, you know. So it's yep. like they would obviously absolutely hammer us in that as well, you know. So it's one of those things. So yeah, so anyway, Boris knows how to play rugby. That was pretty interesting with that. We talked about Bitcoin, you know, how it's changing the world. You know, I'm such a believer, not just in Bitcoin itself in terms of a commodity but more in terms of Bitcoin as a technology and the creation of the blockchain, the creation of Ethereum and what we're actually doing going forward. And now El Salvador, what's the next country that's going to accept Bitcoin as legal tender? You know, that's going to be exciting. And then from there, you know, we'll start looking in terms of the political points of Bitcoin libertarian, what we're doing. We're more in terms of we don't want to be an ideology. It's more in terms of a policy by policy basis and understanding how this technology, if applied right, can change the world essentially for every single person from the poorer side rather than the richer side of my uh, <clears throat> my usual V that I go like that, you know. All right, nice one, Shep. Thanks very much for coming on board again, Thanks keeping so. everyone up to date. Thanks for everyone at home watching it. You've been watching Boom, It's on the Blockchain. My name's Alistair Caithness. Have a nice day.